This is the North Carolina Fusion Podcast. Brought to you by Wake Forest Baptist Health. Thank you for joining us on the North Carolina Fusion Podcast. My name is Scott Wollaston and I serve as the Executive Director for the North Carolina Fusion. Today I will be speaking with John Pardini, Director of our Level 1 Girls Programs, including ECNL and Elite, and coach of our U23 Women's Team. I hope you enjoy our time with John Pardini. Welcome to the North Carolina Fusion Podcast. Today, I have John Pardini joining me. John is the director of our Level 1 Girls Program, including ECNL and Elite Programs. John's also our U23 Women's Head Coach and um, an all-around great guy. So, John, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. Um, so, just to get started, um, we'd, we'd love to give you an opportunity to tell our membership, who is John Pardini? Tell us about your background, where you've come from, college, uh, coaching, soccer career, family, all those things. Sure. So uh, I'm from New York originally. Uh, went to school at Fordham University. I grew up playing soccer on Long Island. Uh, played for Allerton Clash, uh, which was under the kind of little Red Bull Academy thing. Um, so played in a couple of national youth finals, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, missed a PK and won. Uh-huh. Just to this day, I still remember it. Post. <laughs> Um, and then went on to, you know, was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to play at Fordham. Uh, went there, did my undergrad there, did my master's degree in teaching and education. And then uh, the first year out when I was trying to play and kind of what would be considered a, a U23 program, um, tore my ACL and then had this weird epiphany to move and uproot and come to North Carolina and teach for a couple of years. Uh, taught at Western Alamance High School for four years and coached varsity, you know, boys soccer. And then um, I was working a camp over the summer, and Chris Neal, who recruited my sister, who played at UNC Wilmington, um, was just watching my session and thought I did a good job. So he invited me to join his staff at Elon and spent five years there. And then during the last uh, year of my, uh, sorry, two years at Elon, I decided to, you know, I had a conversation with Chad Heineke on the sidelines, and we were just talking about, you know, soccer and things like that. And then I said, hey, do you, do you want me to coach? And I coached one of the ECNL teams, the 03s that I have now. And then, um, you know, Chad had a pretty uh, persuasive uh, mindset and convinced me to come on full-time at Fusion and step into his role that, that he was leaving as the ECNL director. And I really didn't know kind of what I was walking into, but I had a, a decent idea. And then um, now I've been with the club for, for two and a half years. So this is my kind of second full cycle and it's been really enjoyable. So awesome. I'm enjoying it. Awesome. So you have you have had probably the most unique accent of everyone I've interviewed <laughs> because everyone else seems to be from another country, but um, you did grow up in the North. What's the, what's the biggest difference you found uh, coming to North North Carolina and in the, in the South. I would say that you know my first two weeks of teaching um, when I moved down from New York to you know Alamance County, mm-hmm. Burlington, mm-hmm. Um, uh, the kids couldn't understand me. I was talking too fast, <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, I have to be really intentional about how I communicate my words and um, to really emphasize certain things." Mm-hmm. So I've slowly kind of eradicated that. New York accent, except if you come home for Thanksgiving with us, you'll see it, just a different, 
a different tone, a dialect, whatever sure. you want to call it. Sure. So. Fantastic. So what, um, I guess obviously you've had the, the high school teaching and coaching component. You've done the college coaching component now in your, now your full time in the club environment. What if, talk about that experience of those changes, pros and cons that you've found to each of those. So my first youth club experience, um, I was training a team, um, at the very end of my high school, uh, when I was at the high school, mm-hmm. I uh, said so 18, and then I coached again during my grad school years. So I was taking on youth teams, and I got to just experience, you know, what it was like working with young players. So I've historically worked between the ages of 11 to 19. And then you go into teaching, and you're working with 11 to 19 year olds. And then you go into college, it's just that little bit of bump. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, most of those kids seem to fall into that little category, and. Um, I would say that the most unique aspects is just being on the other side of things, you know, because when you're a player, you you experience, you you look at your coaches like they're this kind of little alien that that doesn't have a life outside of the soccer field. Um, When you look at the teachers, it's the same kind of environment. And getting to know each of the different players and families and just the, you know, the investment that I saw my own families put into uh, when I was growing up and then seeing the investment now, uh, there's just so so many similarities and it's kind of really nice to be a part of that um, experience that was just truly impactful for me. you know, as a player, as a young adult, I don't remember pretty much any game that I've played in, to be honest, that must be too many head balls or something like that. (laughs) Um, But I just remember the feeling, you know, the feeling of training hard, the feeling of playing in tough games. And that's kind of given me confidence to be kind of who I am. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, What has been the biggest surprise in taking over um, the ACNL program or doing youth soccer full-time? What's been your biggest, I wouldn't even say a challenge, just surprise? It's certainly unlike any profession that I've experienced. Uh, I've worked at a grocery store at one point. I've, you know, been a teacher before. Um, You know, I have friends that do a lot of different types of jobs in in the business world, things like that. And this is just uh, a really unique capacity. Um, You know, I have... I probably average between one to two hours per day on the phone with either a parent, uh, a player, um, a college coach, or a staff member. And I am constantly involved in, I would say, conversations that are incredibly crucial. Mm -hmm. Um, So where emotions run strong, stakes are high, opinions maybe vary, Mm -hmm. and those are things that you know, if you're not on top of your game and you don't have a good skill set and you don't approach things with those, you know, with, with the skills that you have, um, it could go really poorly. Sure. Um, but it can also go really well. And I think when it does go really well, it's such a, um, a fascinatingly rewarding experience. I, I feel like I have such a unique impact, um, not only just on kids, but also on families. Um, you know, for good and, you know, hopefully mostly good, yeah. um, occasionally a, a negative and that's the ones that really kind of stick with you and, yeah. and wear on you as a coach, but um, it's just a unique profession. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. Awesome. Um, speak about the, uh, level one girls programs. Um, a lot of people I'm sure in our, in our membership have heard the terms ECNL or elite or the new ECNL two league or whatever it might be, um, as well as the women's U23s. So those are all kind of within our level one programming. Can you kind of help people understand where, what are those different levels? Where do they fit into the bigger 
picture um, and, and what kind of level of commitment do those require? Um, I would say I'll, I'll start from the reverse and go forward. Um, so the, the commitment level is, is a lot. Uh, you know, in, in this country, if you want to be a, a big time player, um, it, it's harder now than I think it ever has been before, uh, especially when, you know, a lot of the times the, the carrot on the end of the stick is I want to play in college or something like that. Well, the, the, the reality is, is that these college programs now have access to just a much larger player base than ever before. And it's not just the American born player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, I, I had the fortunate experience five years ago to go over to England to recruit players uh, in that area while I was at Elon, to go to you know, Italy, to go to Ireland. And the women's game is booming. Um, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, the number of clubs that are investing in their women's programs and you know, most of those kids live and breathe it every single day. They get to see it on TV. They see it, you know, you know many have been fans for, for lifetimes. And now all of a sudden these women's players are incredible and they're coming over. I mean, if you look at Chapel Hill as an example, who was a program that really never had too many international players, now all of a sudden they got two and three. You look at um, program like mid-major programs. For example, when I was at Elon, we had three or four players that were from abroad. You look at, uh, you know, Andrew Fleming was talking about ETSU as having only three American-born players wow. on the roster. That's interesting. Um, so the, the landscape is changing tremendously. And for a youth player in this country, you know, if you're not living and breathing in that environment and you're not constantly looking to improve, um, you know, again, the player base is much larger. It's just the opportunities aren't as big as, as they kind of used to. Um, so that's one of the, the unique challenges of what we deal with in terms of the, the carrot, the college, whatever you want to call it. I'd like to think that it's much more than that, the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, our ECNL and elite programs, I mean, the, the nice part is that our families are willing to invest the time and effort. Like the, I, they always said, one of the big things they said, hey, we, we spend a lot of money to do this. And, um, you know, I don't know what people pay. I don't want to know. I don't want any part of that. Um, however, I know it's a significant investment because I looked at my own family and we, we invested in our family vacations were soccer tournaments. Sure. You know, we, <laughs> Same here. We, my, my brother's like, hey, how come we can't go to Disney World? And my dad would be like, we did go to Disney World. You remember we played four games on you know, Saturday, <laughs> Sunday and right. whatever. We didn't go on any rides, That's but right. you know, that was the thing. And you're, you're always having to sacrifice and look at things. Um, I think some of the misconceptions are that it's only soccer. Um, we've been pretty... Uh, pretty open-minded you know we have multiple players that play different sports and try different things and um, we don't want it to ever be all-consuming but at the same time we also want to be able to provide the kind of essential feedback for a player to go okay here are some things that you really need to improve on and here is where um, you'll need to go to do that and I've just seen players that have gone from 11 to 15 to 19 do the right way have a lot of success and then I've also seen the other players that they try and do the right things, but maybe that little extra is just something they're not willing to, to kind of commit to. So um, it's a tough dynamic balancing the expectations from each player within your own program yep. um, and within your own teams. Uh, but I would say for the ECNL, what it looks like, the elite team, what it looks like is kids that want to compete, want to do the right things, are really kind of committed to being 
you know, a soccer player, even if it's for a short period of time or whatever, but they're, they're really invested in what their programming is. And talk about the uh, under 23s and what, what is that? Um, why should our families want to support that? Um, talk about this past summer um, being your first year at the True Helm, yes, mm-hmm. um, and how that went. Yeah, 23s is really unique. Um, it's, it's as close as we can get to a pro team, uh, you know, within the club realm. I mean, we had college players that are returning from their, you know, kind of year-round season and they want to do something in the summer. We have some of our top youth players playing um, within, those, within those teams. And then we also have some people that have exited college and are, you know, 28, 29, 30, that are still kicking and still want to play. I mean, I got an email yesterday from a, a 32-year-old who's been playing in the league for 10 years wow. and is like, hey, I want to play. You That's guys cool. did well last year. So, um, you know, that's an interesting dynamic. So what we do is we have a basically a pool of about 30 to 40 players. And, you know, before the two days before each game, we let the roster of 18 know who's going to be in the lineup. And they go and play the games. And, you know, if you do well, you keep playing. If you don't, new player comes in. But, you know, the nice part about this past year is we had, I think it was uh, seven players from our youth program playing in meaningful games yeah. and contributing. That's great. Uh, Madison Howard, I think, was voted a uh, one of the top defensive players in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Sarah Witterich and uh, Madison Howard, sorry, Madison Henry uh, played a ton of minutes, scored a bunch of goals. Karen Mills got in when she could. Sophie Faircloth was a big part of things. Mm-hmm. Tatum Neff uh, from the our elite team um, had an excellent year. I, I, it was my first time getting to coach Tatum. Mm-hmm. She was just a, such a competitive and tough kid. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, this past season, we also had Isabel Cox. Um, play for us, which was a really cool experience. And she and I were just texting the other day, and she's just stoked about the summer. She can come back and play for us and things like that. And I'm sure there's other youth players that I maybe missed in there, but um, it's basically the the collection of college youth and some older players. It's just a cool environment. And what? um, And so you. You'd recommend our families come out and watch games. How can they do that? When do they do that? Yeah, so the games uh, take place between the months of basically May and June. So we'll play, uh, I think it's like 10 games. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll play 10 games, five of them are home at Bryant Park. Um, it's, it's such a cool atmosphere and environment. I mean, we, we've had some of the youth players, some of our young, young youth players walk out with the teams. Um, there's always some sort of like little events and stuff like that. Um, so it, I think for... For some of our families and some of our, even our younger 13 and 14 year olds that, you know, play within our triad program or um, they can see themselves going, oh, my God, I know Sarah. She's out there on, you know, at the fields in Winston. Like, you know, I can do that. So uh, I think that's going to always be a big component of what we do with the 23s is making sure there is a blend between our youth program and our college players and older players. But um, it's a really cool environment. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, And obviously... I'd recommend any of our families to come out to those games. It would be fantastic this summer, and the schedule is complete, correct? Almost, almost 100% okay. complete. We got to move one game uh, at the end of the summer to okay. the ECNL Nationals. Great. So we'll get that info out to to everyone. Um, let's sort of uh, go bigger picture for a second. I know you talked about the girls girls soccer um, becoming much more global and growing in many other countries. Um, I think in youth soccer in America, we are seeing a little bit of thinning of the the pipeline of um, girls participating, not just in soccer, but in other sports as well. Can you comment at all about why, number one, why do you think that's that's happening? And number two, um, why should a parent 
really want their daughter to play soccer or sport? And then, um, and finally, what what things can we do as a club to start to turn that that trend? You know, I talked to Sarah Bridges before I got on here, and she said uh, that this was one of the toughest podcast shows <laughs> in the country. The questions are That's right. They're impressive. Deep. So I'm going to have to ask you to clarify a few of those things sure. as I go through it. So I think uh, I think a lot of people have some opinions on why kids leave and don't leave um, playing. I'll look at a couple things from being both a teacher and a coach. Um, so the, the thing we're combating you know, as adults, even with our own kids, even, I mean, I, I find myself on my phone. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the screen time, time, it's not always great. Sure. Um, there's so many ways to get instant gratification mm-hmm. um, through technology now. So, you know, you're going to get the likes that come up, the, the little games, you achievement, you know, all the achievements and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, soccer in general is not a sport of success. Mm-hmm. It is a sport of constant failure. Yeah. And, um, when you don't always experience success as a player, and every single player within our club is not going to experience success at one point or the other. That's right. And there's going to be a really tough moment where they're going, oh, I don't, do I have to do this? And I don't know if I want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say is that we provide, it's, it's sports in general, is one of the safest places in which you can have your child experience adversity. Mm-hmm. And you kind of be a little barrier of support for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to experience a lot of different uh, periods of adversity. Um, I'll talk about just our girls in general. So the female experience, and this is not even just sports, in life is very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, many of these girls will be experienced to things like drugs, alcohol, potential sexual assault type things, um, you know, harassment. And those types of experiences can just completely destroy a person. And what we provide in the youth experience is a safe way to get a little bit of adversity, to get a little bit of failure, to show them the steps that they can take to improve so that they gain confidence. When females are confident and they feel um, supported in what they do, um, the sky's the limit for them and that you see them grow immensely. So making sure that we can provide that safe environment for kids where they can do this, something that they enjoy, that they don't have to, you know, they're not forced into, um, you know, that's, that's something that when I look back on my own experience, that's what I remember. It's that confidence that you gain through doing something that you may have struggled with initially and now all of a sudden you feel decent about it yeah. you feel confident you feel good about what you're doing and that's true of all levels right mm-hmm. I mean the fact is, is a lot of times that we've talked here about ECNL or elite and perhaps players have an aspiration of playing in college or maybe pro at some point in time but the fact is is that we're using this platform not necessarily to get them there if that's the outcome mm-hmm. and they're able to achieve that that's fantastic but ultimately it's about what are we doing to develop the human right and this experience playing sport or playing soccer allows us to have these many moments of this and how can we work together to help shape them as young women right into the future so i love that and and from my perspective you know i got the opportunity to travel with the ecnl um back in the late fall and um it was really uh, fantastic to see sort of the standards that you guys want of, of the players that 
Um, when they're away on a trip like that and their parents aren't there, they have a certain level of responsibility for themselves, right? And you guys do a great job of maintaining, um, you know, the standards, the expectations of what, what they should be doing, when they need to get to bed, when to clean up their stuff, when to be ready, when to get to breakfast, when all of those things they've got to be responsible for. And I think that's a quality that um, perhaps kids lack um, without that type of structure and without that type of support. So I, kudos to you guys for creating that environment while also maintaining awesome relationships with the kids and the families, which is hard because parents want what's best and sometimes that what's best or what they think is best is different to what maybe is happening at that moment in time. And that's where the rub comes. And I think you've mentioned um, these crucial conversations that you then have to have with, with parents, not saying that we know all just simply why we're doing what we're doing, getting on the same page. So um, let's let's sort of change gears and let's talk about crucial conversations because um, probably most of our families um, don't know that um, you did a presentation for our staff, um, what, two weeks ago? Uh, about crucial conversations from um, the book, Crucial Conversations. And I thought you did a fantastic job with it. We talked about it afterwards um, and I think that uh, if our families knew kind of that type of training that we're getting for our, we're putting in place for our coaches, um, I think they'd be really happy to hear that. And probably any human needs that type of training, whether you're in youth, youth sports, youth soccer, um, parenting, uh, whatever it may be, whatever line of work. So talk about that, that process of, of reading the book. What did you learn and how did you share that learning with the rest of our staff? Yeah, I mean, I would say, one, I appreciate, I think you, you'd mentioned the book a year ago, um, just in a random presentation, and I just wrote it down and, and added it to my list of things that I need to read. You know, I read books on soccer, or books on, you know, um, you know trying to be a, a leader and things like that. Um, so anyway, the... You know, the book itself, and to be very clear, I'm not an expert on crucial conversations. <laughs> like I, uh, you know, I think the, the reality is, is that I know that I'm going to enter into conversations all the time that are not going to be easy. Um, every human has to do that on a weekly basis, you know, whether it be in your workplace, your relationships, your family, you're going to enter in a conversation that just isn't necessarily exciting. You know, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. So, you know, when I read the book, I realized that, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been having a lot of conversations and maybe not having them go well, or I've been avoiding a conversation mm. because I know it's going to be a tough one. Mm. And I think what the book is really references, and it's just a collection of stories, a collection of insights from a group of people that studied who other people think are effective communicators. And so um, the, the book kind of goes into uh, different skills that you, you can adopt to, to understand when you're actually having a dialogue with somebody or when you're both just talking at one another. Um, I think there's some of the key takeaways that I notice and it's things that you know us as coaches and parents are having to deal with. Um, we a lot of times our coaches and parents are on a mutual agreement of what we want best for the player. Mm -hmm. And but there's there's not necessarily a dialogue that takes place. Mm -hmm. And usually because someone is either silent 
and avoiding the conversation or somebody is violent and lashing out about their experience. Um, what I've learned is that, you know, anytime anybody enters into a conversation, there's a story that they bring with them. And it's like joining a movie late, you know, when you, I, I've sat down and I'm on, you know, my wife's on season three, episode two, and I'm like, what the heck's going on? And then she looks at me going like, don't you remember this, this, and this? I'm like, no, I'm on like season one. Like, right. what is all this that you're entering? And then there's this little, you know, disagreement and this animosity that gets built up over time if that dialogue doesn't come back. Um, so what I tried to do, at least in the presentation, was just provide some skills that I picked up from the book, mm -hmm. skills that um, both us as coaches can use. I would recommend it to every single human being. I looked at it and go, oh my God, this is what I do with my wife in a conversation. <laughs> like, this yeah. is horrible. Like, yeah. how can she, you know? And um, then I looked at some of the conversations that I've had with, you know, players and parents and going, okay, this is, how can I be more effective in this? Mm -hmm. Um, mostly, you know, little things. You want to be 20% talker and 80% listener. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you're doing that, you're going to, the other person's going to be heard. And, and learning how to recognize that the other person means well. They just maybe have had this idea in their head for a while and it's festered and they weren't able to share it. And I think that takes place a lot in our seasons. Yeah. Um, there is a general fear from families about being able to talk to their coach because they don't want their kid to get punished. Mm -hmm. So they'll go through August, September, October, November, and then finally like, oh, forget it, the season's done. Like, I'm just gonna boom. Mm -hmm. And then they hit the coaches and the coaches go, whoa, like where did all this come from? How can, and then they get that animosity like, you know, well, that's just this person. You know how they are. They're always like this. And then there's no dialogue. Right. Um, so I think, I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I'm, I'm ha trying to grow as a human being to become a more effective communicator. And I really am just trying to share that with as many coaches and people as possible. It's awesome. It was good. It was really good stuff. I think um, I learned a lot from it. I thought you did a great job of of making creating situations for people to work through. And I think people um, really understood what you're talking about, but you're right now it's, now it's, can, can folks put that into practice mm -hmm. and actually use it on a daily basis? And, um, you know, we would probably ask everyone in the club to take a chance and, and read the book and, um, and work through that. So, um, one other question before we, we move into our last part, um, of our core values, we know we've talked a lot over the past year or two about our core values, specifically our core values in action. Uh, what would, which of the four core values do you feel you have seen in action the most? And then which one would you say as a club, um, we really um, need to continue to focus on or we really need to improve in? I would say from a staff perspective is development. Um, you know, the, the amount of continuing education, this is not just coaching sure. courses and things like that, but the amount of continuing education that I've seen people invest in. So for example, you know, uh, this coming Monday, I'll be taking part in a two day course on racial equity, mm -hmm. um, looking at collective impact models and how that um, expands across the entire community of Greensboro, Winston, Kernersville, High Point. Um, so that type of stuff is, is tremendous. I think uh, Leah is doing an incredible job in terms of the community development. I mean, the, the spare time event that we had the other night was so much fun. I'm so mm -hmm. glad I got to got to go and be a part of that. Um, 
I would say that the trust thing would, would be our entire collective staff that is coming from East and Central and West and this, you know, multiple personalities and dynamics that exist within that and seeing us spend more time together and how to kind of, oh, we, we align on these things, you know, because many of those people have been rivals for sure. a long time of, you know, either competing for players or competing against whether they're on the sidelines. Um, I would also say the, the trust from the families, you know, they do uh, enter into a huge investment with us and, you know, they put their um, their child in our program, which means they're giving us, you know, the freedom to know that we're doing what's best for them or to look out for their safety. And um, so I would I would see I would say the, the relationships that I've developed with some of the families and I've seen some of our coaches develop with some of the families. Um, you know, that doesn't happen without trust. Right. You know, if you have the, and the best, the best coaching takes place when both parent and coach and player are all in complete trust. Mm-hmm. And I've just seen kids go from here to there just from those simple relationships, yeah. and which is the toughest thing to, to, to take place. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are some of the, I guess, the, the best core values in action. Humility is just obvious. I mean, you know, you can look at either results that you have on the weekend or you can look at the number of emails that you get on a Monday or the, um, you know, just for me, the, the, the book of reading Crucial Conversations is going, oh, man, I'm failing at this. I'm going to have to make some changes. And, uh, but I think, you know, having a, a growth mindset has been a really um, impactful thing. Mark Simpson talks about it all the time. Um, in terms of coaching, in terms of players, and I would say we're, we're really starting to live those core values. That's great. That's great. It definitely has taken time. So, all right, John. So we've uh, at the end of every podcast, we always do uh, rapid fire questions. So I've got a few uh, few questions so that our our families get to know you a little bit better. So here we go, John Pardini. What's your favorite food? I would say uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be funny. This is chicken parmesan hero, but I don't really eat meat anymore, and so it's devastating to not eat it anymore. But I wow. love chicken parmesan. What is that like a parmesan hero? Oh, it's now? a chicken cutlet with. Uh, no, I'm saying without the chicken. What is it? Oh, it's not. It's not <laughs> yeah. I, there's nothing that replicates it anymore. And, and if you're from New York, you would know those things. But down here, I guess, like uh, I would say. Um, I'm gonna go pizza. I love pizza. Fair enough. Oh, oh, mint chocolate chip ice cream. Okay. Trumps that. Okay. There you go. There we go. Uh, favorite team? Uh, New York Rangers. Favorite place you've visited? Favorite place that I've visited? I would say I'm going to put two things. I'm gonna say when I first moved down here, Chapel Hill, because I met my wife there on the first week that I moved down. So Chapel Hill will always have a special place in my heart, specifically Carborough. Okay. Um, but I would say uh, Liverpool in England. All right. And what's a place you'd like to visit? I would like to go to China. All right. But okay. I can't get on a plane to the. Uh, I hate flying. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. You gotta figure out a way to do. That. <laughs> I don't know if there is. I know it's not. It's a long boat ride. Um, Place you, um, no, sorry, favorite band or musician? This one's tough because, you know, I I like to change the type of music, but I have very specific bands that um, remind me of my relationship. So anytime I hear Led Zeppelin, you know, my dad, Mm. love it. You know, Nirvana is my brother. Mm. Um, Motion City Soundtrack was when I was in college. I love that. 
Um, 311 reminds me of my sister because that was the first tape that I had as a little kid and she and I used to share a room and used to listen to those bands yeah. a lot and then nowadays I love a lot of the different like little some house music some uh, like Lil Nas X I love his one song Closure which was a song that he came out to that I just I love the song, the meaning that it behinds uh, for him, for him as an artist. Um, I like a lot. I like a lot. That's awesome. Get to know you better that way for sure. Um, why do you like wearing red pants? Uh, the color red makes me feel good. Um, there's no other way to describe it. It's not an allegiance to a team or a political party or anything like that. Uh, just the color red makes me feel good. Um, awesome. This is a little bit of a shade of red, yeah. which is the nice NC Fusion gear, which is oh, new, which well. is super comfortable. Yeah, a little um, plug for the uh, yeah, NC yeah, Fusion yeah, store, well done. I tried to get that in there. <laughs> but the, the, I just feel good wearing red, and um, I do like a little bit of flair. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and wear some eclectic socks every mm-hmm. once in a while That's too. Nice. The red pants was something that a college coaches couldn't see. That oh, that's NC Fusion. There's the guy with the, the crazy guy with the red pants. Or whatever. So just a, a little way yeah. to make us unique in awesome. certain ways. Um, what inspires you? That's a good question. Tough one. Sarah was right on this. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, you didn't have this question for other ones. That's right. I would say. You know, I, I like when I feel valued, and I think every human probably wants that. Mm-hmm. It's the, the, the feeling of, of purpose and value. So when I see others kind of instill that in me, it really drives me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've had to be on top of my game when it comes to some of our teams because, I mean, the expectation, the demand that they want is awesome. And so, uh, you know, when it comes to designing a session, putting together programming, um, looking towards a future like two years from now, what's this kid going to need? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say that that feeling of purpose and value, um, you know, I, I thank you know, people like Chad that, that gave me the opportunity here and you guys as an organization to, to put me in this position and now it's just I just I don't want to fail I this a fear of failure a little bit too I want I just want people to to feel good when they're when they're done with our program and um, I feel really fortunate that when I had it when I was teaching in uh, Western Elements you know I had a couple of boys I had the varsity boys team and I was 22 and they were all you know 17 18 yeah. 19 and I still see some of those kids and they come back and I just see the, the, the feeling that, that they had in, in playing and I'm like, man, that's that's great. I feel like it makes me feel good. Sure. It kind of keeps me driving. Yeah, that's awesome, John. That's good stuff. Um, well, man, thank you for being a part of the club. You've done an, uh, a fantastic job. I've seen over the last two years, tremendous growth, not just as a, a coach or a director, but also as a leader, as an individual. And um, I'm proud of you in that. And um, I hope to see that continue. And like you said, you're extremely driven and I know you'll do a great job. So thanks for being on the podcast today. Um, I think that uh, it's a great opportunity for our families to actually get to know you if they don't they don't know you and all of our other other our other staff as well so thanks for your time appreciate it one last thing the mvp is kristen strain we know that (laughs) (laughs) gotta throw that in there fantastic so well thanks everybody for uh joining us today on the north carolina fusion podcast we'll be back soon with another episode go fusion for additional information please visit our website follow us on facebook and subscribe to this podcast